Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M plus. That's M P L U S or follow the link in the episode description. Jesse Stevens, you are back at the microphone and thank God it is so lovely to see you smiling. Tell us and the out louders, how the hell are you? I'm back and I am doing well better than I was. What's been wrong? By Friday, I still had no idea. I had like chronic vertigo, could barely stand up, nausea. So scary. Dizziness, scary. And I was starting to really panic because I was like, this is just my life now. And no one could tell you what it was. Did you feel like you were losing your mind a little bit? Yes. I actually thought, because the thing is that vertigo gives you incredible anxiety, but for anyone who's had a panic attack, A panic attack feels a lot like vertigo. So you start to really psych yourself out. And I had no idea how debilitating. If someone said I'm feeling dizzy, I'd be like, you're right, just don't trip over your own feet. No, no, you can't do anything. Looking at screens, looking at sunlight, standing up, like horrible. And then on Friday I ended up at the hospital because I just panicked and went, oh, my goodness, I feel like something's going really, really wrong. Is Luca looking after you? Yes. You got quite confused, he said. Yeah, yeah, really confused and like really bad episode of it. And I got like, you know, when you're looking at your hands and I felt like I couldn't understand where they were in space. And and then I think because dad had a stroke, that was in my mind that I just went, has that happened? I'm feeling very confused. So anyway, hospital was amazing, but they were able to determine that it's not brain, it's peripheral. So that was probably a low point. High point was the discovery that it was peripheral and therefore it was to do with the inner ear and crystals. The Outlouders had been telling me about crystals for a week and I was going... Had they? Yeah. I've never heard of this before and then I discovered my mum's had it really badly too. So they're like, it's your inner ear crystals, you need to see a vestibular physio. And I was like, lady, I believe in science, I believe in medicine, I have crystals next to my bed. I don't know what they do. Around my neck sometimes. Exactly. I'm not putting crystals in my ear. And I was like, no, no, they were right. They were already in there, the crystals, (laughs) but they were disrupted. So I ended up at a physio. They did a bunch of manoeuvres. I felt like a little better and I'll go a few more times. But basically it's like rattling and you're trying to get money out. Like that's kind of what they're trying to do, like get them in the right place. So anyway, I feel so much better, but I was so depressed last week and every morning I would get up like the grandpa in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory you know how he jumps out of bed and I'd go I'm better today (laughs) and Luca was like don't say and then I'd half an hour later I'd be in the fetal position like I spoke too soon so is it over now no I'm still getting in the afternoon especially like episodes of it where I have to lay down and just like 
go into my head a bit where everything starts spinning, but every single day it's getting better, which is a relief. So if anyone has vertigo or dizziness, there are these physios that do God's work. So highly recommend, but I am back and... Thank you, Claire Murphy, for explaining Ukraine to me. That was really helpful. Yeah, look, she was a little bit more useful than you last week, I have to say. (laughs) But I could pretend from a distance that I also would have been helpful and would have had opinions. That's what I said to you. I said you got to preserve your reputation as a smart one because you didn't have to display (laughs) quite how ignorant you may or may not be about geopolitical issues. So Claire Murphy was amazing, but it's lovely to have you back. And what an amazing start to the year it has been for us. (laughs) Health. Who would have thought a pandemic would lead to some health issues? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud. It's what women are talking about. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman and I've already cried and had a panic attack this morning. What about? Oh, no. oh I don't know. Nukes? Floods? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember oh, those? Yeah. I'm, I'm just, yeah. yeah. I'm Jessie Stevens. Distracted by the crystals Dis- in my ear. <laughs> Distracted by the rose quartz crystals in my ear. On today's show, an argument about explicitly admitting you want to cheat on your husband, Ali Wong style, and why the influencers are not okay. But first, Jessie. It has been, as Mia hinted at, a horror weekend in Queensland and northern New South Wales. Southeast Queensland's flood disaster has claimed another life and caused major damage on the Brisbane River. The deluge hits northern New South Wales. Tens of thousands told to leave their homes in Lismore overnight amid warnings of the worst flooding in five decades. You've probably heard the news updates. It's everywhere. You've probably seen images on social media. It is really, really terrifying stuff. Thousands of homes have been affected and many have just been destroyed by these rising floodwaters. Initially in Brisbane and surrounding areas, the area was struck by half a year's worth of rain in a weekend. They've evacuated the whole of Lismore. Now that's a really, really big town. Well, they've tried to, but there are some people who can't get out because they're just stuck. And that's what's terrifying about that's Floods. what made me cry this morning. So I was watching ABC News Breakfast and Lisa Miller was on the phone with a woman in Lismore FaceTiming and you could see that she was, she said, I'm sitting on my kitchen countertops with my family and our three dogs and two cats and she said, our feet are in the water. Mm. We're about to have to climb out the window and try to get on the roof because the water is just still rising so fast. And then she said, I've got to go, we've got to get on the roof. And like Lisa Miller's face and Michael Rowland's face and I just burst into tears and it was just like... Are these poor people? And it feels like there's nothing we can do. There are outlouders in the Facebook group. There was one woman named Bianca who was saying that she has a newborn. She's in northern New South Wales. Power's in and out. They're trapped. Firstly, what can she do and what can we even do to help? We reached out to outlouders to see what some of their experiences were and here's what they said. Hi, my name is Bridget. I live in Newstead, um, which is on the river. I'm on the 13th floor of an apartment building, so I'm fine. My friends haven't been so lucky. A couple of them live on the river, like directly on the river. The difference, I think, between 2011 and now is that people weren't as prepared for this. There really wasn't as massive the warnings that there were previously. I'm a primary school teacher and my principal has made it very clear we have to be at work on Tuesday, so tomorrow. 
honestly, I'm not 100% sure how I'm going to get to work. This is Ali calling from 10 minutes outside of Mwollombar, New South Wales, where we are experiencing the worst flood and rain I've ever, ever witnessed in my life. We are flooded in on our property with no, no way to get out at this stage. Friends of mine have had landslides around their property and are in a much worse situation. They are completely stuck and I'm really worried for them and I'm worried for so many people in our communities who are sitting on roofs with babies, waiting for the SES to come and get them. This is so, so terrifying and my heart goes out to every single person who's been affected. Please stay safe. Don't drive through flood water. Check in on your friends and let's just pray that this rain goes away because it really needs to. Oh, I just, as we talked about a little bit on Friday when we were discussing Ukraine and how, you know, there are people who listen to this show, people who are obviously part of our family and our networks who are affected by this in different degrees. And it feels... Today in particular, it feels like the relentlessness of negative news and negative events is more overwhelming than ever. I think, you know, last week we had COVID pushed off our news feeds by Ukraine. The vision and the stories coming out of there are absolutely horrifying. Here in Australia, obviously, today, that story is being pushed off front pages and news feeds by this terrible flood. And it feels like If you're not directly affected by it, and of course our hearts go out so much to everybody who is, how do we even deal with this relentless onslaught of like, oh, things are getting better. Oh, no, they're not. Oh, maybe this is the time when, you know, life's going to go a bit more back to normal. Oh, no, it's not. And I was looking at, there was a cartoon on my Instagram feed on the weekend that is by an illustrator who I really like and I follow called Megan Herbert. And it's a picture of a woman scrolling her phone and it's sort of saying, Funny parenting meme, ad for hot pants, celebrity hookup, dead Russian soldier lightly dusted with snow. Mesmerizing art, process video, inspirational quote, Mm -hmm. Ukrainian babies in a basement bomb shelter. It's like we're living in this weird moment where we've had two years of this relentless, unprecedented pandemic news. We're like clinging on for bits of lightness. I mean, when we decide what we're going to talk about on this show, that's what we talk about. We say, what can we do that is distracting and helpful? And it feels like a bit of an impossible task at the moment, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And at the time of recording now, seven people have died in those floods. So watching it unfold on social, I mean, you've got someone filming a puddle in their backyard and then next minute it's this disaster. I mean, I think that with floods, sometimes you think it's not a deadly disaster. Of course, people in Queensland know it is because they're familiar with floods. But for people who live in cities and are more ignorant, you don't think people are going to lose their lives. They're going to lose their properties. I have a cousin in Brisbane who, I mean, the last few years, so isolated from family, hasn't been able to cross the border. Kid started school, incredibly disrupted. His school is now completely underwater. We've seen pictures and you can um, barely see the, you know, 40 zone sign poking out from the street. She has three really, really young kids, no power, out yesterday, Arvo. They don't know when that's going to come on. How much can people bear? 
like how much can people bear? People are already struggling and kids are struggling. Families are struggling. Everyone's struggling with the mental health hangover of the last two years. And it's not even over. Like people are still getting COVID. Mm. We only just stopped wearing masks in schools today. Some places are still wearing masks. In West Australia, they haven't even begun with their COVID yet. They've got that coming. It feels just this state of constant vigilance, which is so unnatural and so exhausting. And it sounds like what a privilege for me to be sitting in our dry, warm podcast studio in Sydney, far away from Ukraine, far away from the floods, saying that. But it feels that we are all vigilant for everything that's happening everywhere in the world. And you can't escape it. Like, Mm. you know, you go to your social media and it is like memes about the war and, and a car being run over by a Russian tank, like as I flick through next to someone showing their holiday. It's very hard to process. Mm. It's very hard to process. And look, our hearts go out to everybody who is directly affected. And we want to hear from you about what you want to hear from us. Because we're not a news program. We cover a lot of news, of course. But We always try to get the balance and it's a constant work in progress for us. So do tell us out loud is what stories you would like to hear. And if indeed you do want distracting from the awfulness, we are about to change gears now and talk about something else. But gosh, we would just love to hear from you how you're doing and just sending you all the love that we Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. men are threatened by women with money, power, and Mamma Mia out loud. So Claire Murphy and Mia Friedman told me last week to watch the new Ali Wong special this weekend. So I did. Very obediently, I did. I waited until late at night, until my kids had gone to bed and my parents who were visiting had gone to bed because I knew that it was going to be what we euphemistically used to call blue, you know, blue humour as in it was going to be rude. Now we call it a comedy concert, don't we? (laughs) I watched Ali Wong's very blue comedy concert. I watched it with my partner Brent and it was very blue. It was very, very dark blue, in fact. But I loved it. I love her. This is her third special that I've watched. I've watched also watched her rom-com, which I love. I love that she's one of the best and most successful comedians on the planet. It made me fist pump. But not my friend Jessie Stevens, who hated it so much she had to turn it off. I'm going to get to you in a minute, Jessie. First, a little bit of context. If you haven't watched it or any of it, a little bit of context what we're about to talk about. You don't have to have watched it because we're sort of talking broadly about the themes. Here's a little bit of it. It actually took us a while to be able to find a little bit of it that we could play you <laughs> that wasn't going to set everybody's hair on fire. Because I think about cheating on my husband. <laughs> Every five minutes. (laughs) I haven't done it yet. Not because I'm a good person. Only because no worthy opportunity has presented itself. (laughs) 
My mom doesn't understand. She can't relate to these feelings of wanting to fool around outside of your marriage. I, on the other hand, have met the entire cast of The Avengers. <laughs> the framework for this special, which is called Don Wong, is Ali Wong, who is a married 39-year-old, very successful mother of two, ruminating on monogamy. She says that she thinks about cheating on her husband all the time. She says that she envies her male counterparts who are successful comedians whose status, as she keeps repeating, their money, power and respect, delivers them legions of groupies and adoration and supermodel girlfriends, whereas her money, power and respect comes with death threats and an army of basement dwelling trolls. She also talks about sex in a very explicit way. I did have to tell Brent it was kind of inappropriate for him to be listening, really. And she talks about the contradictions of wanting all the things she's got, a family, a career, a husband, desperately, but then now they're here kind of not wanting them. And that's why I loved it. But, Jesse, why did you hate it? The bits that we didn't play were the very bits that, made me turn it off. And I am not a prude. Like, I actually love, like, an Amy Schumer, Eliza Schlesinger. Like, I love female comedians, sex jokes, ha-ha, funny, into that. Firstly, I might have been in a mood. I wasn't in a good place when I turned it on. Secondly, I was looking at this powerful, rich, incredibly successful woman who had this platform, who was talking about how she wanted men to finish on her face and I was going is this where we're at like that we've had all this progress and that women get their own comedy specials and this is all so exciting and she's so so clever and yet we're reciting exactly what male comedians have done for the last Mm. forever it didn't feel challenging to me and it didn't feel true I was like Mm. is that what Mm. you want Mm. it was very very sexual. It, it had this idea of like sex and power being intertwined and why won't anyone do that to me? And I'm happy for women to talk about oral sex if that's what they wish to talk about. It didn't feel clever or challenging. Or subversive. Or subversive. Okay, so I had the exact same reaction as you. Okay. Right? The exact same. And I was going to turn it off. And I was like, this isn't helpful. This isn't funny. This isn't clever. This is setting women back because it's playing into every stereotype about what women want when we keep saying, hey, the stuff you see in porn is not what most women want. And she, and maybe this is true for her, said that this is what I want. I mean, I think it was designed to be shocking. Who knows if it's true or not. But then I reminded myself that in every one of Ali Wong's specials, the first was called Baby Cobra. She was heavily pregnant. The second was called Hard Knock Wife. She was heavily pregnant. And now this one, it always starts off like that. It always starts off feeling very regressive. In Baby Cobra, she was basically talking about how she wanted to trap her husband into marrying her Mm. and how she was trying to trick this guy who is at Harvard. And I was just like, oh, this does not feel very... And in every one of her specials, I've remembered, there's a big twist at the end where she she turns it back on itself and you end up realising that she's actually playing with 
all of these tropes and all of these preconceptions and stereotypes. On purpose. And I'm not saying this was flawless, this show. And I also thought, oh, my God, is she allowed to do this? And I feel there's going to be such backlash and particularly around all this awareness now about the fetishization of Asian women. Mm -hmm. And I felt very uncomfortable as a white woman, yet she gets somewhere interesting. She makes some points. I think it's interesting, right, because I don't necessarily love explicit humour. I find it a bit boring and I certainly don't like it when guys do it and I feel like I've listened to a million, you know, comedians telling jokes not dissimilar to some of the ones that Ali Wong tells in this. But what is subversive and interesting to me and will always be is a woman talking about things she's not supposed to talk about and Ali Wong has always done that, right? And the fact that she is a mother... And the fact that she is a a woman and a woman of color and all those things make it more exciting to me. I love that she talks and she always has in all her specials. That's another thing. I knew what I was going to get to a point in terms of how explicit it was. She talks about feeling ambiguous about motherhood. She talks about loving sex, loving money, naked ambition, wanting to cheat. Mm. These are all things that even now women aren't supposed to talk about. I mean, if you think we're past it, I refer you to that story we discussed last week where it was shocking that a woman dared to voice Mm. that she wanted to be a parent but not be a full-time carer. Like we're Mm. still shocked when women talk about this stuff. And I am a little bit irritated by the Eliza Schlesingers of the world because that's probably not my demo. She's not speaking to me right now because I'm not in the clubs, right? But I am a mother and someone who's in a long relationship and I love the idea that she's basically saying, what men have always been allowed to say, which is that I love my life and my family and my partner, but that doesn't mean I don't crave other things and that I'm not sexually excited by them. And I bloody love that. And I think that you have to respect that some of that stuff is a metaphor for the most shocking sexual act she knows will go over with the audience. A woman who is in that kind of position has all these different opportunities and different kind of temptations in her path and yet we still expect her to have these very narrow wants and Mm. needs and I love that that she talks about that. The one point I thought I really agreed with was that she was saying the more powerful the more intelligent you become as a woman the lower your stocks basically. Sexually. Sexually in terms of a heterosexual relationship and this is something that's been played with a lot by female comedians because often you get to the end of a male special And, you know, those men are inundated with young, beautiful women like groupies, whereas men sitting on the couch aren't necessarily going, oh, I'd love to have sex with that funny woman. The more I thought about it, I thought I don't think it's about power and money necessarily. I think that for the Ali Wongs of the world, it's about being funny. I think that in a heterosexual relationship or when you're dating, being funny is not seen as currency because in order to be funny as a woman, a woman yeah you need a certain level of self-deprecation and you don't take yourself very seriously and self-deprecation for someone who's trying to idealize you or objectify you isn't necessarily attractive one of the funniest things i noticed about my reaction was how worried i was about her children how worried i was <laughs> oh about God. her husband Oh, my God. And she plays with that. Yeah. Like she gets to the end and she plays with that. Because Dave Chappelle, he gets away with, I yeah. was very worried about them. And then I'm like, isn't that interesting in itself? Yeah. And I think the difference between the parts that the comedy special is at its 
strongest and her work's always been about this kind of complicated, prickly relationship between identity and sex and financial independence in all three of her specials. But in the first one, she was struggling. She hadn't made it yet. Mm -hmm. And by this one, she's one of the most famous and successful comedians in the world, not just female comedians, but comedians. And when she kind of leans into talking about the absurdity of that and the interesting new challenges it's thrown up, like the fact that she's met the whole cast of The Avengers, <laughs> I think that's when it's funniest. But give it another go. It's interesting that you guys watch these things with your male partners. I don't watch anything with Jace. So to me, I feel like that would change the whole experience of watching mm. it. Give it another go. The influencers are not okay. It was announced on the weekend that Australia's medicine regulator, the Therapeutic Goods Association or TGA, is cracking down on what products influencers can be paid to spruik. There's a new advertising code that will come into effect on July 1 that stops them from promoting any product with a perceived health benefit. So that can include everything from vitamins to fertility clinics to sunscreen, teeth whitening and even skincare. Basically, any product that can or claims that it can have an effect on the body, it's going to be much harder for influencers to be paid to promote them. On its website, the TGA used the example of a moisturiser with sunscreen that states that it helps protect skin from the damaging effects of UV radiation. So that would be considered a therapeutic good. And they say advertising of therapeutic goods requires a higher ethical standard than may apply for advertising of ordinary consumer goods because consumers rely on therapeutic goods for their health. And influencers are understandably pissed about this because for many of them, it's really going to hit their bottom line really hard. And it's also going to potentially cut them off for future earnings. So before we talk about this, obviously, no matter how we try to contextualize this story, it's going to come across as very vapid, and very superficial given the state of the world today and some of the things we've already discussed. But there was a huge amount of reaction to this news on social media over the weekend and the opinion was very much divided. And Mum Mia Out Loud is about what women are talking about this week. And a lot of people are talking about this. Some think that it's great that they can't be paid to say things. Other point out that influencers are overwhelmingly women and that these women are trying to run businesses based on monetizing their following on social media, and why shouldn't they? Before I throw to you, Jesse, we need to declare up front that Mamma Mia has a part of our business called Squad that works with influencers. We don't represent influencers, but we work with them on creating social campaigns for our advertising clients if those clients want to use influencers as part of their marketing. And most clients, most advertisers understand that an influencer component is really helpful, particularly when you're marketing to women. Jesse, you're an influencer. How white are your teeth <laughs> and how much poorer are you going to be because of this new law? I'm not an influencer. But well, you are. A few out louders follow me and they are not following me for my teeth whitening advice. And I have discovered that very clearly. I feel conflicted about this because on the one hand, I agree that any female-dominated industry is culturally derided. We are not kind to that industry. We mm. roll our eyes. We don't pay them properly and we think it's all a bit silly. On the other hand, there is within the influencer industry some values which go against what we uh, really kind of idolise in society. By that I mean 
an influencer, male or female, is seen as someone who is materialistic, who likes free stuff, who spruiks things because they're paid for it. It's wrapped up in consumerism and having too much stuff. And I can Mm. see why we're not kind of getting our heads around it entirely. And in a lot of ways, I do think it needs more regulation. I think that there are a lot of people who are influencers who would agree with that because there are some bad influencers who give everyone a bad name by basically spruiking a different product every day. They haven't tried the product. They don't market properly as an ad or branded content. And that's really dangerous. But I think that most influencers, if they're good at what they do, and they have to be to get more work, they're basically a conduit between an audience of people who have opted in to follow them because they're interested in what they have to say or how they look or how they live. And a client or a brand that wants to reach those same people. Now, this is nothing new. We've had spokesmodels, we've had models, we've had people in ads for a hundred years. Like for as long as there's been advertising, there has been this. And when you say influencer, I think that it can be almost used in a way like mummy blogger or chick lit as a way to be really dismissive about someone who's garnered a really big social following for all kinds of reasons. We struggle with seeing. Do I sound offensive? A, a small bit. It's funny though because you don't do any influencing I don't do strictly. Influencing. On social media, you've got a big following, you could make a lot of money and you don't. But Mia has a business of her own yeah, she is promoting all the, time. all the time. So she doesn't do that kind of influencing, but she is Mama Mia's chief influencer, Lady Star's yeah. chief influencer. Like she is a massive influencer. This is new, I think. When small businesses and Lady Startup focuses on helping women launch their small business, we see it traditionally as your small business is that you are making something, you are creating, you buy things, often that you can touch or a service or something. This idea that your small business is now you and that's you Mm. offering advice or recommendations is very new and I think we're at a crossroads in terms of how we monetize that, what kind of value we give it. There's a lot of venom though. Holly, I want to ask you about this. You've written two books about this. You've written The Mummy Bloggers and then your second book, How to Be Perfect, was very much about influencers. When people talk about this, and I noticed, you know, within the Out Loudest group over the weekend and in other places on social media, there was a lot of glee at the idea that these influencers, these women, are not going to be able to make money anymore. I want you to help us understand where that glee comes from. I think that influencer is the new aspirational job for a lot of people, right? Like in the same way that we had a bit of a moral panic a a few years ago when kids all said they wanted to be YouTubers and everybody's like, what does that mean? And they, you know, they make funny videos and they get paid for it. Is that this is the new job that a lot of people would like to have because from the outside, as Jesse's expressed, I get to sit there and get sent free things and it looks really easy to promote them to just take a few videos or make a few videos or take a few pictures and it looks really easy and I'm like who wouldn't want that in the same way that why wouldn't I want to be a supermodel and swan around the world on private jets or why wouldn't I want to be a movie star and have everyone tell me that they love me like it looks like a very aspirational job and so I think that comes with a little bit of schadenfreude when they are exposed at being shonky about their jobs because I think people who have really good in 
relationships with their influencer of choice really trust them. It's a really intimate trust relationship after a while. The people we know who are best at it are very clear about when they're being paid and when they're not being paid. And they're also very good at making sure they're giving you enough stuff that isn't an ad to make you sit through the ads. I've spoken to some people who would have once been called mummy bloggers or influencers who say, They get a lot of pushback from their paid stuff, but they're like, this is like me asking you to watch the ad in your favorite TV show. And the thing is, is we don't like doing that. Mm. That's why we have Netflix and that's why we have, you know, all kinds of subscriptions. But you pay for Netflix. You don't pay to watch Married at First Sight. And the thing is, is you're not paying directly, obviously, to watch your favorite influencer. But I think that the reason and what I really wanted to explore, particularly in How to Be Perfect, is the idea that it's all bullshit, which is what a lot of people suspect, right? They suspect that the products that they're being sold don't work. That is not true, certainly not always true, and that the people aren't really living the lives that they appear to be living. So we have a distrust there because it's like, why can my life look like this and your life can look like that? When really, it's a much better comparison, and I think you made it earlier, Mia, that these are like the glossy ads in a magazine of your, you know, is that, you know, that supermodel doesn't really look like that. She looks kind of like that but you've airbrushed out all the difficult bits and the blemishes and the lines to present you with something you want. And I think that we thought that Instagram in particular was going to give us a more authentic experience, but that's not actually what's happened. And we're a bit cranky about it. There was another story that came up over the weekend about two influencers who had a relatively small following and messaged a small business to ask if they could have a free meal at the restaurant in exchange for exposure. That story also went viral because... Entitlement. Entitlement and because it exposed everything that we've all assumed about those influencers, that they just want free things and that it is aspirational. But hang on, isn't that just a hustle? Like how is that different? You know, the restaurant had the power to say yes or no. They didn't go in and eat the meal and then say, oh, we're not paying, we're just going to do a couple of posts about it. Like there are some restaurants who might look at the people who were making that request and look at their following and like it's a business decision. I don't think we should be shaming people for trying to do business. Exactly. And that's I think where exposure and the exchange of exposure comes into question in terms of how Mm. much that's worth. Influencers are the tastemakers and that is an enormously powerful job and I think that in terms of the regulations that can be a good thing. There's a lot of argument about sunscreen, which I'm sure we'll talk about more in the coming weeks, but it's not going anywhere. It's interesting because the way that that blew up the restaurant one is um, via a very well-established old school food critic called John Leithleen. He writes all the restaurant reviews for the Australian magazine. And I read them actually. He's a very good food writer. But he is obsessed with this. Like he sees it as the cancer on the food critic industry and the restaurant industry. So he always screenshots and posts these messages. Because he's being disrupted. Exactly. And that's the thing is like there's a bit of you that's like, Yeah, I can see why this annoys you, John, but also exactly that. He is the establishment being disrupted by the new world. And that is something that all corners of media and all corners of business has been grappling with for years. I should say this TGA thing is different to the regulations that already apply, which are that if you are paid to promote something as an influencer on social media, you must declare it. There are certain words that you have to use because 
I'm not certainly not in favour of the practice of someone, you know, not knowing that someone was paid, thinking it was a genuine recommendation and then going and buying something on the basis of that. Not to say that if it says ad, I won't buy it anyway, but I think it's very important not to be deceptive. And I think the vast majority of influencers that I know do work very ethically. You have a recommendation for us, Mia. I do. So on No Filter this week, I've got an interview with the former editor-in-chief of Vogue Australia, Kirsty Clements, and we talk about how confusing it is to know what you're meant to look like as a woman 40 plus at the moment. And it was based on posts she did with the cover of Linda Evangelista after she'd had her plastic surgery and talking about my plastic surgery nightmare, I've been disfigured. And then the Nicole Kidman cover of Vanity Fair where she's dressed like a schoolgirl, And it just, it wasn't critical of either of these women at all, but these women are both in their mid fifties, iconic beauties. And Kirsty just said, gosh, it's hard to know what a 50 something year old woman should look like. And so we had a really wide ranging conversation about it. But one of the things we spoke about, of course, was and just like that and all the reaction to that, people were thrilled, people were horrified. And so much of it was about what women look like in their 50s, the actresses that play these characters. And in a lot of the conversation I've heard about this, another TV show keeps being mentioned and it's called Better Things. It's written and directed and stars a woman called Pamela Adlon who is an actress and it's sort of one of those like stories about her where her name's changed but everything else is the same. And it's about an actress raising her three daughters while juggling the pressures of working in Hollywood and being a single parent. There are five seasons of it. It's just the last season's just coming out now. It's so good. If you've got daughters... It depicts the mother-daughter relationship. Her daughters are like 9, 14 and 17. Her elderly mother lives next door as well. The dynamics of the mother-daughter relationship across three generations is so brilliant. It's so funny. The episodes are short. They're like 20 minutes each. I binged the entire first season of 10 episodes yesterday. It's so good. It's so, so, so good. It's called Better Things. It's on Binge. And I'm so excited that I've got four more seasons that I can that watch. I'm going to so be talking good. about it a lot. I've heard so many people mention it in relation Get to ready. like that. Yeah. That is all we have time for on this episode of Mamma Mia Out Loud. This episode was produced by Emma Gillespie. The executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. Bye. 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 Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.